What is going on, ladies and gents? We got Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and special guest, the one and only, Carrie Brown. And we're going to go into the weeds about all kinds of delicious keto foods. I can feel it coming, so just sit back, relax, and uh, get ready for this. Without further ado, how are you, Carrie? I am doing well. Good, Keto good. Savage. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm great. I'm great. I think Except you... I do want to point out that we can, we kind of we we don't eat a lot of weeds. We don't eat a lot of weeds. No, you said we were going in the weeds, but we, there's not a lot of weeds <laughs> going on in my kitchen. I don't know those leeks. I mean, that's that's gonna be a pretty close <laughs> close call, right? There is definitely leeks. <laughs> <laughs> so you said it right before we started. This is going to be the accent episode because you and I both have an accent, apparently. Apparently, I mean, I think that you all have an accent, but I don't. But I, I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm wrong about that. So maybe I am. Who knows? Well, I think that you have an accent, whereas I don't think I have an accent. But everybody says I've got you that definitely have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that uh, that country boy coming out at me, I guess. So so everybody knows you for lots of different places. You you get to, I mean, you're on the. The Keto Evangelist Kitchen with Brian Williamson. You got that popular podcast. You've written several books. Uh, but but what's your story? Like, how would you describe? Like, what's your bio? What's my bio for for keto or my whole life? I don't think we've got long enough for my whole life. <laughs> give me give me uh, the highlight. Give me the turning points. We could we could start before keto for sure. Because you've traveled all over too. I have because um, because despite the fact that I don't have an accent, I wasn't actually born in America. So yes, I, I have a, I have a story. I've travelled a lot. Um, so I was born in England, bottom right hand corner, a bit nearest France. Um, I was I started showing a remarkable prowess for for food and making things with food at about round about the age of three. Um, I remember sitting on my mother's kitchen counter and I was I, I, I would get the job of grating the cheese and sifting the, the flour. So that all started at a very young age. And um, and I also fell in love with chocolate at about the age of three, too. Um, fast forward till I was 14, I started a wedding cake business because I discovered quite by accident that I had an innate gift uh, aptitude for decorating cakes and so I started a wedding cake and celebration cake business at the age of 14 and um, then I decided that um, I wanted to actually make a career of being a pastry chef so I went to I studied at National Bakery School in London. It was a four-year course, but I didn't want to be in school that long because I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> and so I did uh, four years in two, which was a lot of work. But I was I'm, I'm incredibly committed when it's something I'm passionate about. So I got all my qualifications there. I actually graduated at the end of the well, the end of my second year, the end of everybody else's fourth year. Um, I actually graduated. I was the top student in my country for the graduating year. So um, pastry chefing and, and pastries and desserts and all of that good stuff was definitely my thing. And and then I that's when I started the traveling. I went to live in Canada. I um, lived and worked up in the beautiful Rocky Mountains in British Columbia 
I worked as a pastry chef. Um, then I moved to Western Australia, lived in Perth, worked as a pastry chef over there. And then I uh, was invited back to the National Bakery School, which is part of uh, South Bank University. I was invited back to lecture um, at the school that I had graduated from. And uh, at the ripe old age of 23, I was a um, a, a lecturer at, at the university, which was which was quite a thing. And um, and then I also, but that was a part time, so that was a half half a week job. And then the other half of the week, I was making handmade chocolates in the West End of London for very um, very rich people. So uh, that involved spending um, half of my week lecturing at university and half my week up to my elbows in liquid chocolate. So that was that was all kinds of awesome, and I loved it. Um, and then there I moved into sales. I stopped producing and I moved into sales and I was selling chocolate to chefs, all the chefs across England, all the top chefs. And so I sold chocolate for a while. And then I just kind of went off the, off the food ranch altogether for quite a few years so then fast forward to uh, six, five, four, four, four or five years ago, and I was getting very, very frustrated with my own body. Um, I've or Historically, I've always been like 98 pounds soaking wet, um, could eat whatever I wanted, was making pastries all day, eating all the trimmings, you know, sucking on sugar, um, absolute sugar fiend i would eat i mean lunch would be sugar paste and i'm not even joking um and and i would never i never gained weight i and then one day i woke up and i was like what in the world happened to my body and i'm looking in the mirror at this body and i'm going uh okay that that that's not my body and you know where where did that fat come from and what's happening and so for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm actually going to have to think about what I'm eating and I'm going to have to think about exercise because because well, this this can't this can't happen. I've always been the skinny girl. How old were you at that point? How old was I? Uh, 30? 30? Yeah, I think 30 around there somewhere. I lose track. It's all a bit of a blur, Robert. I've had a very, very exciting life and, and so I, I tend to lose track of details like ages and years, but... Um, yeah, I kind of woke up and I think I was 30s, late 20s or, or early 30s. And I just woke up and went, that is not my body. What in the world happened? And that's when I started to like try and figure out, you know, well, I'm, I've got to watch my weight or lose weight or do something because something's happening. That's something's changed. And I didn't know what it was. And so thus embarked on, on this kind of journey to figure out what and and you know fast forward another few years and it got to the point where I felt like I had no control over my body it didn't seem to matter what I did it didn't matter what I ate how much I ate how little I ate how much I exercised it didn't I mean nothing changed it I just my body did not respond and of course the the we all know that the 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 accepted modus operandi for losing weight was 
eat less and exercise more. And I got to the point where I got so frustrated. I literally ate lettuce and cycled 10 miles a day for three months. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. And so I went to my then doctor and said, there's something wrong with me. Like I've eaten lettuce and cycled for, for, ten, for 10 miles a day for the last three months. I haven't lost a pound. Like there's something broken. Like what's wrong with me? And I remember him looking at me and saying, oh, it, it's no, it, it's thermodynamics. You know, calories in, calories out. It, that's how it works. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not listening to me. I've eaten nothing and really upped my caloric output. I haven't lost a pound. There's like, like there's something wrong with me. And he just kept on saying, no, 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 it's thermodynamics, calories in, calories out. So he said, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to go away for 10 days and you need to drink two slim fasts a day. That's it, which that'll put you at about 450 calories. Do that for 10 days. You're going to lose you're going to lose seven pounds, then come back and you'll, you'll, you'll feel like you're back in control of your body. So I'm like, you weren't listening to me, but okay, I'll humor you. So I went away 10 days, drank two slim fasts a day for 10 days, kept my cycling, kept my activity level the same. Nothing happened. Went back 10 days later. I'm like, dude. And, you know, even my cat could tell you that that it's not clearly not calories in, calories out. And he looked at me and he said, no, 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 it's thermodynamics. It's calories in, calories out. And I'm like, I've just proved to you that that, that it's not. Like, like, help me. This is not working. And he sat there and said, yeah, no, it's thermodynamics, calories in, calories out. So I fired him. And, um, and then I started. Then I think the next thing that happened um, was I read – about Gary Taub's book, uh, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. Mm. And that was the, like, start of my low-carb slash keto journey. And so I read that in in the space of a day. And and then for, for the three days after that, I was completely hardcore, like no sugar, no carbs, no starch, just just amped up the the dairy and and the meat. And within three days, my muffin top had disappeared. And I was like, whoa. And it was one of those things where if it hadn't happened to me, I would never have believed someone telling me that story. I would never have believed it. But literally, my muffin top just melted. And I was like, wow. And I lost 10 pounds in like a week. But then it stopped. It it was crazy. And I was just like, I I mean, I, I... it was like the holy grail to me, but then, um, then it just it stuck there, and then I met um, you probably you probably heard of Jonathan Baylor. Mm-hmm. I met Jonathan Baylor. He was then working on his book, which was originally called "The Smarter Science of Slim." And he was doing, well, kind of low carb, um, but he has a lot of, I mean, he does higher protein, he does lower fat, and he does a whole bunch of non-starchy veggies. So it was slightly the same, but but I didn't know about keto back then. And so he was the next step in my journey. And that was good to a point, although I never lost a bunch more weight but I did feel a lot better um 
But what it didn't do for me, and this is where keto came in, was so a couple of years after that, um, I had, I've been depressed my whole life, although you wouldn't know it because I'm really good at, at hiding it. But I had a, a break in what, three and a half years ago, four years ago. And um, and I, the police and hospital and big drama and was almost committed. And as a result of that episode, I was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder, which is not the manic end, but it's it's the it's the hypermanic but major depressive episodes. And so I'd been eating what Jonathan calls sane for all that time. Um, but it clearly wasn't doing my brain any good. It might have been helping me to control my weight to some extent, but um, it clear, I mean, my brain still went sideways. So after that happened, I went on a bunch of, I mean, I was required to see a psychiatrist because of the, the, the hospital hold. I was required to see a psychiatrist. And they started, they just said, well, it looks like bipolar 2, so we're going to medicate you for bipolar 2. And a lot of bipolar 2 people do well on this medication, so we're going to put you on that. And they put me on that, and it was a complete disaster, and I was a zombie, and I couldn't function. So then they tried me on something else, and I became violent, and then they tried me on something else. So I was just going through this merry-go-round of being trialed on different drugs that they'd used on other people that they'd given the same label of bipolar 2. Um, and and so then fast forward another couple of years of this nightmare, I, I actually spent eight months um, being suicidal 24-7, despite the fact that I was on medication for my bipolar, I became suicidal. And after eight months, um, I just got incredibly, I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't survive that. So I went to a new doctor who put me on an anti-seizure medication, which is important, and I'll tell you why in a minute, uh, called Lamotrigine. And after three days, it was like someone had turned the lights back on in my life, and it was awesome. So for like six months, life was fantastic. And then I became suicidal again. So they doubled the dose of the lamotrigine and all the lights came back on. And then six months later, I became suicidal again and they wanted to double the dose of the lamotrigine. And I'm just like, this this is crazy. You can't, I, I can't live the rest of my life having to double the dose of this brain medication every six months just to give me a tolerable life. This isn't, this is not okay. And and I got really kind of annoyed because nobody, you know, I had all these medical professionals, but nobody was asking the critical questions. Nobody was asking, why does Carrie have bipolar? Like, what what's wrong that Carrie has bipolar? Why two years ago did she have this mental break? And what caused it? Is it environmental? Is it food? Is it what's going on? Nobody was looking for the cause. Nobody was interested in that. They were just interested in finding something that would keep me stable enough to not kill myself or hurt other people. That was all they were interested in. So I got very mad and I fired everybody, everybody on my team, on my medical team. 
And at the same time, oh, and I, and then I then decided that I was going to find out why I was bipolar. And so I started, I decided I was going to start with genetics because that was the most, I mean, it has the least variables. I mean, your genetics are what they are. Whereas, you know, trying to find out if something that's affecting you is environmental, there's so many variables that would be harder. So I thought, well, I'll knock the genetics out first. So I, I spat in a tube and got my DNA back. And around the same time, um, a doctor started following me on Twitter. And I'm always curious when doctors start to follow me. And I looked him up and uh, and he had a website and I was like, wow, this is like, this is really cool. He really seems to know what he's talking about. And so we got into a, a direct message conversation. I was asking him what he knew about DNA and um, if he could help me uh, figure out the gobbledygook that they send you when they send your DNA profile, if he could help me kind of figure out what it all meant. And he's like, you know, I'm not an expert on DNA, but I, I would absolutely, you know, I'd love to, to see if I could point you in the right direction. We also... Um, I asked him if and we'd never met at this point and I asked him if he would write the foreword for my new cookbook which was the um, 101 keto beverages and he said yes so we published a book together but we'd never met and and after we published the book I said you know we really should like you know meet or have coffee or something and uh, he was just down the road from me here in Seattle and so he said yeah sure and so we met at Starbucks and um, the doctor, I'm sure, you know, most people in the keto low carb world now know um, him. It's Dr. Ted Naiman. Mm -hmm. And so I went and, and had coffee with him and I was talking about my bipolar and he said, you know, I, I think I can help you. And so I said, well, I'll make an appointment to come see you. You know, I'm not looking for a freebie here. You, I, you know, I'm not going to, to take this as a favor. So I made an appointment and I went to see him and he said, um, the, the, the ketogenic diet was originally developed for, and was very successful at treating children who had seizures. And he said, you're on an anti-seizure medication. So it makes sense to me that, that if this diet helps children with seizures, that and that's what's keeping you stable is an anti-seizure medication, that the ketogenic diet might be very beneficial in your case as well. So he was the one that put me on the ketogenic diet. And uh, so that was July two and a half years ago to, I guess in this July, it'd be three years ago. So he put me on the ketogenic diet and at the same time, I was looking at my DNA, I'd fired all my other doctors, I found a naturopath, and I did a, a whole slew of um, food intolerance blood tests, the blood tests of the yin-yang. And, and so Ted put me on the keto diet. Three months later, I went to see, no, two, two months later, I went to see this naturopath. We discovered between the three of us, we looked at my DNA, and I have what I think more and more people are hearing about this is the MTHFR mutation, mm -hmm. which is where one of the, the things that the people who have that can't do is they can't methylate. And methylation is really important. Um, if nobody, uh, B vitamins, none of us can do anything with B vitamins. We, we ingest them. We, our bodies have to methylate them before we can use them. 
So, and that's the same for everybody. But in my case, and for anybody who has the MTHFR genetic mutation, um, we cannot methylate. So essentially, I had been, I'd had a severe deficiency of B vitamins my whole life. Now, the number one uh, use or benefit to B vitamins is neurotransmitter health. So my neurotransmitters had never had the, the B vitamins that they needed in order to function properly. We also found that my serotonin and dopamine receptors were broken genetically in about 40 different places on my DNA. And I, I'm sure you know that serotonin and dopamine are what control mood. Mm-hmm. And then we also found that I am genetically, I'm not celiac, but I do have a genetic intolerance to gluten. And um, while a lot of mainstream doctors will tell you that, that if you're gluten intolerant, you're celiac, that's that's that. that that's not actually true because um, I'm not celiac. I am gluten intolerant. And I have since learned that, that gluten can affect you in other ways. And one of the things it does is it, it, damages, it can damage your brain. So it can attack your brain. So if you add all those three things up, it was bound to happen that my brain was going to go somewhat sideways at some point. So there was all this genetic little wrinkles that it was it was almost guaranteed that at some point something would happen. I developed some kind of mental health issue. And for me, it showed up as bipolar too. So we, so I was on the ketogenic diet with Ted, uh, super high fat. And then the naturopath put me on methylated B vitamins. You can actually buy, you, you need to buy the right brands, but, but you can actually buy B vitamins that are pre-methylated so I started taking those. Um, I also had an unbelievable number of food intolerances because it turned out I had leaky gut. And so I was limited. My diet went down to nine things. Luckily, they were all super ketogenic. So I was keto, but I was actually, I only ate nine different foods for three months and I had to rotate the foods as well. So I was had a, a nine food rotation. We started me on the methylated B vitamins. And six weeks after that, um, Ted took me off the Lamotrigine. He wanted me to go cold turkey, but I wasn't brave enough to do that because when I ran out of Lamotrigine several years ago, I became suicidal within like 12 hours. So I was really like nervous to do that. So he said, okay, he said, you can do cold turkey, but you know, whatever's comfortable. So I, I cut my dose in half and over three days, nothing happened. So I cut it in half again and again. And after I think two weeks, I was completely off my Lamotrigine. That was October, 2015. And now we are uh, the start of 2018. And I have had no bipolar medication in that time and I've had zero symptoms of my bipolar disorder. That's so insane. Congrats. It is it is insane and it's also awesome. And because I'm I'm kind of a stubborn, awkward woman, um I actually tried. I mean I was like I couldn't quite believe it that, that my brain actually w thinks differently. It works differently now. And I tried to make myself depressed and I haven't been able to do it. Um it's it is miraculous. I don't know any other word for it. So 
that was um, that was how that all happened. And then uh, a little while after that, so July 2016, so 18 months ago, um, this dude called Brian Williamson randomly emailed me. He he died. I seen my cookbooks or heard a podcast I used to be on with Jonathan Baylor or something. Anyway, he found me somehow and he emailed me and asked me if I would be a guest on his podcast. And so I went on the Keith Evangelist podcast, uh, mostly talking about ice cream, but somewhat talking about my keto journey. And um, he got a lot of feedback. People loved my accent. I'm not sure anybody cared about the content, but they loved my accent. And so uh, a couple of weeks after that aired, Brian emailed me and said, hey, um, uh, I, w would you, would you want to talk about things where we might collaborate? Because I had been looking for a podcast co-host. And so Brian pops up and he's and so we got on the phone and he said, well, you know, what do you think about starting a a recipes? Because I don't have I don't have a chef. I you know, the recipes thing is something I can't do, but it's obviously something people need. So how about we start a a food recipe site? Um, and how about we we do a a podcast, but we do a little food segment on the end of my regular Keto Evangelist thing. So we just add a little segment on every week. And um, so I'm like, sure, yeah, we'll do that. And so we did that. And after just a few weeks, people were very, very excited about the 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 kitchen add-on to the to the main Keto Evangelist podcast. And started asking us to make it its own thing. So a year ago, just, or yeah, January 1st, a year ago, um, we launched the Keto Evangelist Kitchen website, which is um, food recipes for keto. And we opened the Keto Evangelist Kitchen Facebook group. And we also started the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast as its own standalone thing. Um, and so I republished all of my cookbooks um, and wrote some more. So we now have uh, five cookbooks. We have the Keto Crock-Pot. We have the Keto Soup Bowl. We have the Keto Ice Cream Scoop. We have 101 Keto Beverages and uh, Keto for the Holidays, which was incredibly – well, they've, they've all been incredibly successful, but um, the Holidays one – I lost count of the number of emails and comments and messages I've had with people telling me that, that they would never have believed that they could have had a Thanksgiving where they didn't miss anything or didn't feel like they were, they were, you know, missing out or couldn't have their favorite things because they, they'd had that cookbook and they were able to stay completely keto. Um, I'm just about to, I'm just working on the last touches to my, sixth cookbook which will be sides and salads i think a lot of people some people um don't do veggies at all on keto and that's fine and some i'm i'm one i do better when i eat some veggies i don't do as well when i eat purely you know carnivore just just meat and and cheese i i don't do as well i don't feel as well so i'm one of the keto people that that 
likes to eat veggies but i know there's some people who who can't or don't want to and that's fine too but i did have a significant number of people saying you know we know about the meat part but we're always stuck as to what to put with it and we feel better on veggies and we like them so i'm this six book sixth book that is coming out hopefully february is keto sides and salads for people who do want exciting vegetables to add to their their keto steak or chicken or or whatever other main they're having um and then the other thing is we just so i collaborated with brian williamson himself and also um a lady named Rekka j who is the lady who has designed all of the um covers for my cookbooks um she's my cookbook designer cover cover designer um but the three of us worked on a book that we've entitled uh kick-ass keto which is a 28 day quick start guide to um health fat burning and weight loss and it's a so it's a you know the theory of keto but very simply not not deep in the weeds not the science just a clear what it is here's what you do here's your your guidelines and then we did um there's a, a whole slew of um recipes and then two different 28 day meal plans and but it's hardcore keto it's intended to be for people who are new to keto and who are getting completely confused by all the misinformation um out there mm-hmm. it's it's literally you're getting started just do this for 28 days read read the front and follow the meal plan for 28 days and that will get you started in the best way um not just for new people though it's also great for people who who need to recommit or who just want to do a you know just have a little hardcore month or whatever and it can be used it could be used you know full time forever there's enough recipes in there to keep it interesting um you could just follow that Very be good cool. so we we just uh published that on january 1st and um in and all the books are available either hard copy print copy or digital um and then the other thing about me that some people will know um is that brian williamson and um mr danny vega who i lovingly call the mountain of meat um he and brian and i started a membership site called keto evangelist unlimited which is for members only obviously and um we have a secret facebook group there and it enables us to um work with the the most serious not as in boring, but in the, the like the people who really, really want to up their game, the people that are really like, this is my lifestyle and I really want to dial in and I really want to, to, to get, and I understand that it's not just about food and it's not just about exercise. It's about mindset and, and food and exercise and community. It's this kind of holistic, it's, a, we've been able to, to make a site which is very holistic in nature because, and, and you know, Robert, that a lot of it is mindset. Absolutely. It, uh, and, but you need to do the food. So for people who are really looking to, to really seriously do the keto lifestyle 
and want the extra support and want to be in a in a fantastically uplifting um, environment where they can come and say, hey, this happened, how would you deal with this, or, you know, whatever kind of support they want. And because it's it's a much smaller community, we have about 450,000 people across our various Facebook groups. And, and obviously, Brian, Danny, and I just don't scale to to helping that many people mm-hmm. in, in, in the way we would like to. So Key Evangelist Unlimited enables us to be very present and give a lot more hands-on um, help to the, those people that, that want that extra level of um, care and attention. Uh, we also, the, you know, I produce exclusive recipes just for Keto Evangelist Unlimited folks. Um, we write articles which are exclusive to that. We do a podcast, the three of us, Brian, Danny, and I. Again, that's only available to, to members. We do Danny does workouts. We so we do we do mindset. We do all of that stuff, but it's all content that is exclusive to um, Keto Evangelist Unlimited. We launched that in October this year, and that has been fantastically successful. Um, people really, really love, particularly the community part of it. That, that, that there's a safe place where they can go and you know get help without feeling daft and people are just cheering them on and you know they just have it's a very tight-knit community of people who are um there to help so and they they also have they also have access to brian danny and i um because we just we we just can't get to everybody in the groups as much as we would like to Mm -hmm. um so but we can in unlimited because it's that much smaller so and and that's it that's me that's you, huh? That's everything everybody needs to know about Carrie Brown. Um, Brian would probably disagree with that, <laughs> but, and and if if you listen to the the Keith Benches Kitchen podcast, you'll find out all sorts of crazy stuff about Carrie Brown. You probably never wanted to know, but it's all there. I'm very um, I'm very open about. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have bipolar and and you stand on stage and tell the world, then I mean, what else is there, right? <laughs> it's like ask me anything, I don't care. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to dive into the weeds about lots of things here. So, bipolar, what, what what is that exactly? Like a lot of people have a very surface level idea of what bipolar is, but like how has that affected you, and kind of like why does it work the way it does? So the, there's well, so caveat: all psychiatry and and I actually challenged my psychiatrist. Um, and I actually called him out on it. And I said, you, you people don't actually know, do you? You just, you, you've, you've made labels and you've put people in them according to similar symptoms. So, so you, you've got a set of symptoms and you've, you've made a label for it, like bipolar 2 or bipolar 1 or whatever. And you just lump all the people who exhibit similar symptoms. I mean, that's how you're diagnosed, right, with psychiatry. It's all made up. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then what they do is they they get medications that have helped people under each label, and they'll start you there. But they don't really know. It's all trial and error. And I and I actually had so I'm not you know being mean to psychiatrists. I actually had this conversation with my psychiatrist, and I said, "You people don't actually know what you're doing." And he's like, no, we we don't. It's all trial and error. 
this is this is the framework we have you know we do the best we can but no we don't actually know and and so it got to the point where i was so and i was in i was diagnosed by four 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 different medical professionals two psychiatrists a psychotherapist and a and a regular medical doctor so and then what they do is once they've put you once they've found you know what they think is the most appropriate label they start trialing you on medications that have worked successfully on other people with the same symptoms that you have but it's uh, you but it's trial and error and you take it and you see if it works and if it does yay and if it doesn't you come off that and you go on something else. The process is, I can't even tell you how horrible the process is because you're, you're you know, you're taking these chemicals and you have no idea what they're going to do to you. Um, but you, you just go through this endless cycle of trying stuff until you feel better. And then you stay on that until it stops working. And then you have to go back to square one and, and start again. And it was, it was just a horrible, horrible process. So, but bipolar is where you and there's lots of different forms of bipolar the most common are bipolar one and bipolar two bipolar one and it's a a a mood swing disorder so people with bipolar one are they're the people who the, the ones you read about in the news they have their mood swings are more about mania than they are about depression. So bipolar generally is swinging between mania and depression, like deep depression. Bipolar one is they have far more mania than depression. Bipolar two is where you have way more depression than mania. And I I never actually had full-blown mania. I would get what they call hypermanic. So most of the time I was in a deep depression when I was when I was experiencing symptoms of bipolar, it would most often show up as deep depression. But I would have hypermanic episodes. For me, I was very grateful, very lucky that they showed up as being like I would turn into Superwoman. I could write a cookbook in five weeks. It was so. From my perspective, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I became incredibly productive, incredibly driven. Like I could get through mountains of of stuff. I would just get stuff done, and and so for me that felt great. But my poor psychotherapist was like, "This is not good for you." You, but you know, but that's how my mania showed up. For people who have bipolar one, they're the people you read about in the news. They will drive 120 in a 30-mile zone. They will, you know, drink and get raging drunk. They'll, like, sleep with anything that that stands still long enough. They'll go spend crazy amounts of money they don't have. But that's mania, right? That's not, you know, there's nothing rational about any of that stuff. But they they become manic and their behavior becomes – you know, compulsive and uncontrollable and crazy. Um, and those are the people that, that will typically end up in jail or in the hospital because they've decided they could fly and jumped off a building and broke their leg or whatever. So I feel very lucky that I didn't have bipolar one. And I feel 
inc- I have a huge amount of empathy for people who have bipolar one because they have to deal with the manic episodes. So people with bipolar one, it's much more difficult to hide. I could, I mean, I worked when I was having the symptoms, I worked at a, at a corporate job and I could hide the, the depression, what was going on with me. And of course my hypermania showed up in good ways in that I was very, you know, incredibly hardworking and very, very productive. Whereas bipolar one people tend to be the ones that get to the point where, you know, they, they do crazy stuff in public or, you know, they can't keep a job because they're all over the place. They're up and down or they have to have a lot of time off sick or, you know, so they're, I think people with bipolar one um, have a much, much harder time because it's, you can't hide it. You can hide depression a lot more easily than you can hide mania because you can't control the mania, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what determines whether you have bipolar one or two? Is it just like a difference in the chemical imbalances, or is I, there... I I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows. In fact, I'm sure nobody knows. Um, as I say, nobody that I have ever met was interested in finding out why I had bipolar. Um, so I'm I'm pretty sure that if someone does know, it's certainly not out there. I think it's just you know the the whatever is causing your bipolar, not your Robert, but, you know, if you have bipolar, whatever's causing it, whatever the root cause of your bipolar is, that it just manifests itself. You know, for example, if you're allergic to eggs, some people's symptoms of an egg allergy would be hives. Another person's symptom of an egg allergy would be, um, you know, streaming cold. So, so do you see what I mean? So mm-hmm. same problem, but but people's bodies just um, express it via different symptoms. So I think that's that's what's happening here is that, you know, bi- we're bipolar, but a bipolar one person expresses it or their body expresses the problem in a different way to the way people with bipolar two do, if that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and there's also with bipolar, there's, you know, you can get cyclical bipolar, you can get rapid cycling. So some people with bipolar will go months where they're fine and then they'll, they'll like fall off a cliff for a month and they'll be in this massive depression and then they'll come out of it. And rapid cycling is when you switch incredibly rapidly, like within hours or days, you go from manic to depressive. So there's other nuances to bipolar um that respond better to different drugs um but it's just really they really don't know and that's what makes it so hard is that it's not it's very very difficult to medicate successfully and there's no unless you do what i did which is figure out why you got it in the first place um you just have to live with this with these crazy symptoms that you have no control over so how did how did your depression like how was that manifested in you like were you depressed towards a specific thing or did you just like not have any sense of self worth or how was that manifested? Well, uh, you know, and it, it's been a lifelong thing for me. Well, up until two and a half years ago, I, I mean, I, I consider that I've spent my whole life being depressed. It was all I knew. It, that was just my normal. 
I grew up like that. I I didn't feel a lot of joy. Um, so that was just my normal was, and, you know, people around me, and of course back in the day, and particularly I think more so in England, um, there's much more of a stigma and a shame around depression. And there's a lot of, you know, I'll just snap out of it or, you know, get over yourself or whatever. But if you really understand, we're talking about a proper clinical depression. It's not, you, you know, you can't snap yourself out of a depression anymore. You can snap yourself out of diabetes or a broken leg, right? But but back then in England, that was, you know, depression. You didn't talk about it. You didn't go in therapy. You didn't. And I thought it was normal because it always felt that way. Um, so I just got a lot of, of heat from people around me, you know, just like, you know, what is wrong with you? You're a pain. You're a, why can't you just be like everyone else? And, and but I couldn't understand it because I just I wasn't trying to be anything. I just was always depressed and I had no way to control it. Um, so that was how and it would get worse. There would be times where um I was able to experience joy and then other times I would just fall into this massive depression for no reason that that made sense. Like nothing had happened. I would just become really, really depressed and, but I didn't know why. And it was only really when, when I had my, um, my break, my mental break for whatever it was four years ago, um, that was when it got to a, a new level of, I can't live like this. This is not, I mean, I got to, I mean, it was a, starting to affect everything. Um, I mean, they nearly committed me, which was pros possibly the scariest nine hours of my life, lying in hospital in handcuffs under armed guard, being told that basically your whole life, not literally, but your whole life's going to collapse now because we're going to commit you and of course I'm, I'm single. So I'm like, okay, well, who's going to go to work and earn money and pay the mortgage and feed the cats. And I mean, like if I'd have been committed, oh, my entire life would have gone sideways. And, um, cause there was no one, I had no, got no family. So there's no support system or, you know, everything literally would have gone to hell in a handbasket. So that was, that was possibly the scariest nine hours of my life when, the, when they had me in the hospital. And, um, I managed to persuade them to let me out eventually after nine hours. I managed to persuade them that, you know, that I was, I was really okay and that I would, I would, you know, I would work with my therapist and I would get some psychiatric help and we'd get this figured out. So they let me go. They didn't put me on a psychiatric hold, which I'm unbelievably grateful for. But that was the point at which I'm like, I can't live like this. I, 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 you know, I was looking at like the whole rest of my life going, is this what the rest of my life is going to look like with, with my brain just going off and doing this stuff? And, and I, I mean, I, I don't know you very well. So, you know, you could be hiding something. I don't know. A lot of people could be, but it's incredibly difficult to live life when your brain is trying to kill you. Like all day, every day, there's like, your brain is like actively trying to kill you. It's exhausting, absolutely exhausting. And it just got to the point where I'm like, I've got to fit, I've got to find out 
how to resolve this because you know i was looking at like you know another 50 years on earth with my brain trying to kill me it was literally driving me mad and i just i couldn't i just wasn't prepared to to live like that so that's why i i kind of went on this journey of trying to uncover um either what caused it and or what i could do that didn't involve pharmaceuticals to keep me or to get me and keep me in a place where my brain was not actively trying to kill me 24 hours a day yeah that's uh that's not sustainable by any means it's, it's absolutely exhausting um i'm sure you know if if not you i'm sure you know people who who experience this so many people are suffering um what that, uh and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but what what happened with the break like what made that different like what uh was there like a series of events that happened or what triggered it or what what did that look like exactly so I, I don't, and you know, so, and, and I'm not a geneticist and, and my, you know, and I'm just a layman and I have like a tiny, tiny percentage understanding of how it all works. But, but in, in very basic layman terms, you can have, you know, wrinkles in your genetics that does. So you may be predisposed genetically to having say Alzheimer's. That doesn't mean you're actually going to get the disease. So, yes, you have to have the genetic makeup, but but also it has to get expressed. And that may or may not happen. And so I don't know what it was that suddenly flipped all those switches on and made the bipolar, like, totally get expressed. I don't know. The The... Two days leading up to when it all went completely sideways, I I worked a incredibly intense job in corporate America, and and the the day that this happened, I had been at work for something crazy like thirty six hours. I'd been at work for thirty six hours out of the previous forty eight. I hadn't slept for two days. I hadn't eaten for two days. And, I, and I'd had this intense period of work. So whether that was just physically, my body just went, this is BS, I, I, I'm done. Whether that was like the final straw, um, I don't know. And I, I don't know that I'll ever know. But it that was, that was what appeared to preempt it, was that I was... I hadn't slept for two days. I hadn't eaten for two days. I was incredibly stressed. Um, and I'd been at work for, I think it was 36 hours out of the previous 48. So by the time, and I had a phone call. I think I emailed my therapist and said, I, I'm done. And he and he called me at, at the office and it was late at night. Everyone else had gone home and he called me. And he realized that I was like serious. I was like, I'm, I, I'm done. I just, I can't do this anymore. This is, I, I just, you know, I've, I've tried for the last 10 years to figure this out and, and stop all this like nightmare. And I just can't, and I'm too tired and I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to be done tonight. And so he called the police and they were waiting for me when, when I got home and, um, 
I just didn't have the mental or emotional or physical reserves to to not have a meltdown and you know this is America so once once the meltdown started I, I you know the handcuffs came out and then it all went really badly sideways after that gotcha that's crazy it was it's, it was uh, a fun evening <laughs> no it's 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 uh, I'm glad you're talking about this because I really whether this is good of me or not but I like going to people's like darkest times so to speak so that it really shines a light on how they're able to recover from that and it amplifies all the good that they've done since like all that you're doing now is that much more beautiful because of what you've gone through previously um, well you know and and people who listen to the, the the kitchen podcast and and who follow me and whatnot i'm passionate about what i do and and I think that hopefully this will help people understand why. And this is why I no longer care. There are people out there who will treat me differently. If I say I have bipolar, they will treat me differently. Who will discount me? Who will whatever? There are people out there judging me because I was handcuffed. The police came and handcuffed me and took me from my house in, you know, in, in a blaze of lights and all of that. There are people who will judge me. I don't care because if I can help one person not go through either again or for the first time what I went through, I don't care about all the people that are just, you know, judging and trolly and whatever. I just, I do, I simply don't care. I don't care what people think about me and I will share what happened to me till the day I die in the hope that if even one person will can stop the hell in their lives, then it's worth it to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's your truth. That's your narrative. There's nothing to hide from. Like, there's there's no reason not to be completely transparent with people. Right. Although you know, but I get it, and and maybe because I you know I'm I'm have no family that it doesn't you know I don't feel like I have to protect anyone else or, I mean, it's just me and, and this is who I am. That's what I went through. And I think also talking about it, it, it gives, it helps other people feel courage that they're like, you know what, if she can do it, then I can do it. And, you know, and, oh, look, there are people still like her even though she's gone through all this and, and she was, you know, taken away by police and da 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 people still like her. So maybe I can be brave and people will still like me, right? There's that fear of rejection, which I just don't have anymore. And, and, and so I think talking about it makes it safer for people. It makes them makes it okay for them to talk about it. it it makes it gives them courage and once you have courage you can do anything absolutely absolutely it makes you it makes you more real and then if you if you've revealed your darkest truths and people still love you for it what's what's more is they'll love you that much more for it i mean i didn't know this story about you but now that i do my my uh respect for you has only been amplified you know and you know, and the, but as I say, there, there's always going to be people that will use it against me. But I don't care. They can't touch me. They can't hurt me unless I allow them to. And their their opinion is simply that. It's just an opinion. It actually means nothing. 
And yeah. if I can help one person to stop the cycle of hell that mental health is, then, I, I, you know, millions of people can toss stones at me if they like. I just don't even care. Well, I'm sure you've changed more than one person's life in the process. So, yeah, you have nothing to do but hang your head high now. Yeah. Absolutely. So that that's that's how I got here. Um, but but what I do in a practical sense, apart from you know sharing my story, um, and and giving hope, hopefully giving people hope that that they don't have to live in the hell forever. Um, in a practical way, you know what I the, the skills I learned as a pastry chef now enables me to provide people with with food that is incredibly healthy but also incredibly delicious and you know that you know a lot of people there's still this this thing that you know if it's good for you then it's going to taste awful and yeah. you know you, you can't enjoy food and i'm going to have to be on a diet forever and you know that and i think you and, and brian and danny and 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 your lovely lady crystal are your relatively rare in the you know if you knew that cardboard was the most nutrient dense keto food on earth you'd eat cardboard and be happy mm -hmm. most people cannot do that so most people actually need they need the variety they they need food to taste delicious if they're gonna stick to it they need stuff that that tastes good and they need it to be simple and, and all of those things. And that's where I come in. That's the other part of what I do to try and help people to stick to, to keto um, is, is make food that, that tastes better than the food they ate while they were on the, the standard American diet. That is uh, and you and you're doing a pretty damn good job because like I've, I've tried multiple of your recipes and they all knock everything I've ever made out of the park. Um, was it, do you miss like preparing the, the desserts and the, the pastries and the cakes and the chocolates anymore? Or is that just days gone by? You know, I, I love, I absolutely loved doing desserts, pastries. I mean, that was my thing. That was, I was just, I loved to do it, but it's interesting that now I'm, and I, I will, and I did one of my books is ice cream. So ice cream has now become my like my flagship thing. That's what I'm. I excel at keto ice cream. Um, but outside of that, my focus is not, ironically enough, is not the pastries and the treats and the recreating the the sad carbs in keto form. I do it here and there. I do it once in a while. There's there's a few things out there. But that's not really what people need. What people really need is normal, everyday food. They need dinners and, and entrees and sides and lunches and, and things that they eat to break their fast, not necessarily breakfast time, obviously, because a lot of people don't eat breakfast. But I, that's really what people need, this focus on – so I have deliberately – steered away from what is popular i.e all the 
keto-fied carbs. Mm-hmm. I've steered away from that because that's not it's not what people really need. What yeah. they really need is just normal everyday food that is delicious and simple and and truly keto. That's what they need. However, I I do make treats every now and then, but that's not what people should be focusing on if they want the results that they want. I completely the, agree. And I respect you for, for going that way because, you know, if, if, if somebody's just transitioning from carbs, they'll oftentimes, you know, have a lot of the, the keto sweets and, you know, dessert recipes and stuff. And I was guilty of that. And, it, and that's better than the carb version if that kind of makes the process easier initially. But after you've been adapted for a little while and after you've been eating quality foods, like the need and desire for those, uh, you know, fake carbs just kind of phases out. And then you can just focus on the quality foods as the, you know, the mainstream in your diet. And that's that's where you shine. Right. And I think um, if... And I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat treats and treats are bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying if you want the best results, you, you're, that's not where you're best served to have your focus. And and I absolutely agree with you that particularly when starting out, there are there are large numbers of people who couldn't stick to it if they didn't have the the ketofied versions of their old carb foods and and in that respect if that's what keeps them in at the beginning if that's what makes it possible for them to stay keto have at it um i'm a you know do what you need to do because the keto the ketified you know carb things are way better than actually falling off the wagon and going back to eating the real carb things so it it they are better yeah, for sure. And I would absolutely say if that's what you need to stay on board, do that. But I'm I'm trying to not make the the treats and the the particularly the nut flowers and the dairy stuff like the focus. Just focus on normal everyday food and then have a treat once a week or you know at the start if you need them more eat them more but then you know phase that out have it as high days and holidays and and you know from what you do that a lot of people nuts will make them stall Mm -hmm. uh dairy will make them stall and for some people even the the keto sweeteners will make them stall so if you're if you're struggling and and you're eating a lot of the keto treats that I mean, that's not going to help you because it's probably, it's probably one or a combi- any combination of the, the sweeteners, the nuts, the dairy. And that's what keto treats are almost universally comprised of any combination of those three things. So, um, if it helps you to get on board and stay on board, great. But otherwise I would really encourage people to, to move to to have treats as treats and so i don't i and i i know i lose out in the mainstream keto blogging world because 95 percent of my stuff is not the wildly exciting carb fest replacements that that get people excited and make them click that link 
but you win in the long game because as keto becomes more and more mainstream, there's going to be more and more people that phase out those initial crutches and they're going to turn to your stuff. Well, I, I, you know, and I'm not doing this for numbers. I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, and you know, Brian is not the same. We don't care about numbers. We're just trying to help people. So, but I don't do, if people wonder why, like, why I don't have a ketified version of like every carb thing on earth, that's why. I, I, because I don't do anything just to get hits. I don't do anything just to get clicks on my links or to be more popular or whatever. Um, but I know that that's, that's what drives um, a lot of, of the food blogs that are out there now is that they will recreate stuff in order to get the hits. And that I, I you know, and if that's their, their model, that's great. If it works for them, that's great. But I'm just trying to explain why my focus is not on my, my focus is on normal everyday food, not on the treats. Yeah, no, I, I totally respect that. What's and a, I do lose out. I, I mean, I do lose out on clicks and hits and all that stuff, but that's not why I'm here. That's not my end game is not to, to generate clicks and links and, and analytics. That's, yeah. that's not the point of it. I want people to experience the joy. I mean, the deep joy that I have in my life now and that I've had in my life for the past, uh, whatever, two two years and three months, whatever it is, two years and four months now that I am no longer medicated um, and I have no symptoms of my bipolar, I desperately want people to experience that. But and not only that, I mean, bipolar is my thing that I'm passionate about. But, you know, um, we hear, we read in our groups every day, as I'm sure you do, like, you know, this is the first time I've been able to lose weight. I'm off my diabetes medication. I'm, you know, all of these huge health wins that people are experiencing. And, and that's what I want for people. I'm not here to get clicks or likes or, you know, hits on my website for me. I'm genuinely here to get the the greater quality of life for the people out there because if everybody could could experience like life like i have for the past two and a half years like nothing would make me happier yeah and i, I totally you know believe that because like you and i started keto more or less about the same time mm -hmm. i've got a few months on you but i mean we were doing that and, and kind of sharing our message long before it became the next hot thing so your your intentions your motivations are pure you know yeah. So, you know, that's, that's me, but you know, in case people are curious as to why I'm like out on my own little Island here, not focusing on, on, you know, almond flour and treats and stevia that that's why. Hey, no, I, you're, you're on a good Island for sure. How are you doing <laughs> on time? Are you good? I'm good. All right. I want to, I want to make this, um, next little section selfishly ask about food stuff because I'm always curious. Um, what, uh, what's your take on like dairy? Cause like I've, I've been, you know, playing with dairy without dairy and it all is going to depend on the individual at the end of the day. Some people are going to perform better with that, but like cheese, for instance, do you like for you personally, does that stall you at all or are you handle cheese pretty well? Um, I, I actually am, and I've talked about this on, on my very, or particularly on the unlimited podcast, which of course most people, um, can't hear, but. I, 
I have been, well, I don't know if I've been stalled. Some people would say I've been stalled for like, you know, two years. <laughs> and there's something going on with my body and I don't know what it is. Well, I haven't worked it out yet. And I have tried everything. I've tried no dairy, dairy, no nuts, nuts, I, no protein. I mean, I've tried it all and nothing seems to make a difference. Um, I, I have come to the conclusion, much to my uh, despair and much to Danny Vega's joy, I have come to the conclusion that for me, I can only get so far unless I exercise. <laughs> Amen to that. I'm on Danny's side with that one. <laughs> I because I have varied, and I'm like Danny. I'm a huge, you know, n equals one experimenter. I have tried every combination of foods or not foods or whatever, and my weight it doesn't matter. My weight stays the same. And you know me. You've met me. It's not. I'm not overweight. I'm not. I mean, I'm just fine, just the way I am. Um, so it's not like I'm actively trying to lose weight, but it's frustrating that I feel like I'm not in control because nothing I do makes a difference. And it's, you know, you you go in the Facebook groups and they're all like, yay, I stopped eating cheese and I lost 20 pounds in half a minute. And it's just like, OK, why didn't that happen to me? Uh, and it's not like I need to lose 20 pounds. It's more like I just want to understand why my body doesn't respond the way most people's bodies do if that makes sense Absolutely. so i do i have come to the conclusion now that from a food perspective my body's good i'm it, it's all goodness but without doing some and i like to do eccentrics because they take like five minutes and i'm done so <laughs> not not a fan of the gym or exercise so if I don't do eccentrics, I will not lose weight, no matter what I eat. But that's just me. So I think I've just got myself to the point where I've gone as far as I can go with food. And now I need to switch on those, the hormones that get fired when you do intense exercise. You know, you lift heavy stuff or you do eccentrics. I, if those hormones don't get fired, food only takes me so far. So back to your question, dairy, we have, I would say 50% of people in our Facebook groups can eat dairy and lose like the Dickens and 50% can't. It's a totally individual base, basically. It's, it's totally individual. But I also think that, well, I'm sure of this, is that it actually varies so as you go along on your journey, just because, you know, in July, cutting out dairy made you lose, that doesn't mean that you'll never be able to have it again. That's true. I And I, I think that's true with, with almost everything is that, I mean, there was a period of time where I could not eat erythritol. If I ate erythritol, I threw up. It was the weirdest thing. So I stopped eating erythritol for three months, and then one day I'm like, okay, and now I can eat erythritol fine. So I don't think that anything is static. That's a apart really good from point. The apart from the fact that, that you know, sugar and carbs will, will give you 
all the things, all the bad things we don't want, including obesity. Apart outside of that, I don't believe that everything remains static. I think our, our bodies are in a constant change of flux. There's there's genetic things going on with us. We get older. We exercise more or less. We we have if if we're still on medications that comes into play there's all of these variables and we're actually changing like every day and so one day you might find like me that erythritol can't tolerate it didn't have it for three months now my body's in a different place and now it can tolerate erythritol so i just i that's really important concept to me that people understand is that it, which is why you need to, and I know you know this, is that you need to constantly be tweaking. Mm -hmm. And just because something dairy stalls you now doesn't mean that dairy will continue to stall you in 30 pounds time. Do you... Um, Does that? Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, absolutely, 100% agree. I think, like you said, everything's in a state of flux. You know, you might, you know, when you lose weight or gain weight, your hormones are going to be impacted. Your metabolism is going to be impacted. That's going to have a, a varying effect on the food you're consuming. Everything is everything is connected in some form or fashion. And that's oh, going to change oh, oh, and time. I don't know how I could forget this. The big thing is stress. Yeah. I, I stress and sleep. I don't. I think people underestimate the power that the horrible sleep or great sleep. And, and a ton of stress can completely change the way your body reacts to everything. Absolutely. And and so you, if you're sleep deprived, maybe dairy stalls you. If you fix your sleep, you might find that dairy no longer stalls you. That's that's a great point. That's why for example, it's so important. Or stress, test. right? If you're, I mean, I've seen people who are. I mean, I, I remember friends who were, you know, their their spouse up and left. They lost like three stone. Well, that's three times 14 for non-English people. A lot. You know, 40 pounds, like in three weeks. Nothing changed. Like they didn't stop eating and nothing changed. They're just the stress and they just like just became thin like overnight. And I think we forget about how powerful stress and sleep are to our hormonal balance. And that, as we know, is the hormones that control everything. So I say this one because I want to encourage people to to stop looking for, you know, this is the answer, right? There is no one answer. Everybody is an individual. And I want to encourage them to, like, become their own detectives. Mm -hmm. and, and you can ask other people what they do as a kind of a starting point, but then you need to tweak it to your your thing. Stress may affect me in a positive way, it might affect somebody else in a negative way. Stress plus cheese might make me gain weight. Stress plus cheese might make someone else lose weight. And, you know, and I, I think it's so individual. I think it's incredibly important for people to, you know, for example, I'm sure you see this too, is that people in the group, someone will post their success photos and, and say, you know, I lost, you know, 40 pounds in two months. And, and a boatload of people will go, oh, wow, that's amazing. What we, what are your macros? So this is completely irrelevant what that person's macros are. I completely agree. I get frustrated when people deal with absolutes. Yeah, because it's not, and it's not even just the macros, right? If you could have the same macros but composed of different foods, mm -hmm. 
if you if if one gal did it with no dairy and another gal took her macros but was using dairy and can't do dairy, then you're not going to get the same results. I mean, there's just there's there's so many macros is it matters what the macros are as not it matters what the ingredients in the macros are, not just the percentages. If you see what I mean. Absolutely. Do you I mean, track macros you know, yourself? You know, I, whatever, 60% fat macros in nuts is going to have a different response to 60% of fat macros in dairy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, do you track your macros currently? I track nothing. You track nothing? <laughs> I like I've that. Been list- I've been talking to Brian for too long. <laughs> Does he not track anything either? Brian tracks nothing. However... I did get an aura ring after KetoCon, um, which was fantastic. Where we met, yay! Yes. Um, you scared me, by the way. Um, <laughs> I scared but, you. Yeah, you scared me. Um, but I did. I met up with Dr. John Lemansky, who is wonderful, mm-hmm. and uh, and as a result, I got an aura ring, which is like a a oh a Fitbit, mm-hmm. only a lot better. And it's a ring and it, it tracks everything. And I have dramatically improved the quality and amount of time I sleep because I had the data, because I was tracking or the ring was tracking my sleep. And when faced with the data, there's there was two parts of it. One, it was like, I want a better, I want a better score, I want a better number, I want my Ura ring to to give me a high five, not tell me I'm bad. <laughs> yeah. So there's that kind of human, like, oh, I want to do better than yesterday. I want to do better. But there was also like looking at it and going, okay, now I have data. So I'm not sleeping as well as I thought I was. What can I do to tweak it to make it better? So I'm not saying that all tracking is bad or that you shouldn't at all. I just don't do it. But I've had amazing results in improving my sleep because I, because my ring did track my sleep data, and because I had that data, I was aware of what was happening, and I was motivated to figure out what would make my number better. I agree. I think like the beauty of keto is that it is so instinctive. Like if you're happy with where you're at and your performance and your composition, there's no reason to track your macros. I only resort to tracking simply to gather data and refine things if I'm trying to, you know meet a specific goal or, or change something, uh, you know, by removing all the other variables. So, And I do. I, I, I tend to, and because I went through all the food intolerance thing and the bipolar, I'm very good. I've become very good at listening to my body. And so I I tend to, to tweak based on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm If you've had a lot of food sensitivities in your life, and, and you eliminate them, your body becomes hypersensitive. So I'm very good now at pinpointing, okay, what did I eat different yesterday that made me feel like this today? And and so I'm very, very attuned to my body. So I don't – plus I tracked when, – when Ted Naiman first put me on the keto diet, I tracked religiously for, I don't know, a month or maybe two months – um, 
And then after that, well, one, it, it was taking hours of my life. And, and I, I almost was just like, I don't want to do this because this is just like, I'm obsessed with food and, and macros and all this calculating and like, this is horrible. So one, that didn't, that didn't sit well with me. But also after, you know, whatever it was, one to two months of, of, of tracking everything, I had a really, really, really good idea of how I, what I needed to eat to work for me without still actually tracking it. You know, I knew yeah. what the right, right amount of meat looked like. And, you know, I knew what the right, what an ounce of cheese looks like. And, you know, and so I had a good handle on, you know, uh, the carbs in cashews versus almonds or, you know, whatever those kind of things. So after two months, I stopped tracking. And gotcha. now I go, now I go by how I feel mostly. And that's huge, you know, if you're that in tune with your body to be able to do that. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of like the next level, which is good. Very good. What, so, um, this is totally... However, I also, for people who are screaming at me now, I also understand that for some people, I, like Danny, right? Danny tracks every single cell of anything that goes in his mouth. <laughs> But, but that's just the way Danny is, right? And and so if that's what keeps you on board, if that's what keeps you on track, if that's what makes you happy, have at it. But it made me miserable. And it didn't actually tracking to that level didn't change what was happening with my body. So for me, it just wasn't a thing. For Danny, it is. Whatever works for you, whatever keeps you on board, whatever keeps you on track the best, do that. Absolutely. I completely agree with you on that one. Um, what about, uh, totally off topic and random here, but with regards to cooking, you might be the, the purest type and totally look down on me for this, but I'm all about convenience when it comes to food, and <laughs> I'll, I'll go the easiest, most efficient route as possible. Um, that said, I bought an Instant Pot the other day. Never used one of those before. Do you use that, or do you have any killer keto recipes that could be made in instant pot so and, and i'm going to be yelled at by um, an awful lot of people for saying this but i i'm gonna be honest because i can't i don't like living with myself when i'm not <laughs> so i try not to do that so and i actually i actually said this on the kitchen podcast a few weeks back i have yet to be convinced that an instant pot is more than a gimmick you might be right there. And so I have like, and everybody's asking me for an instant pot book. So I know I could sell a boatload of books, but I won't write a book that I don't believe in just to get sales. So it's kind of like the, you know, I won't publish, I won't focus on, you know, pizza dough. Because mm -hmm. I don't think that's really what people need. So I'm not going to focus on that just to get hits and likes and, sell more stuff that's just not how i'm wired and and so the instant pot keto book is the most requested cookbook i have but i as i say i have yet to be convinced that it's as valuable as other things i could produce for people and so i haven't done it yet and i'm not now, biased towards the instant pot by any means right so you're not hurting my feelings about saying that <laughs> so um there uh, from what I can gather, so for example, I wrote the, the keto crock pot. Everybody wanted a crock pot. I can totally see how crock pots 
now I've written a book, I can totally see how crockpots revolutionized people's time. And I, and I worked very hard to make sure that the recipes were truly like took five minutes of prep and almost no post work. Because a lot of um, crockpot recipes I found online when I was doing research, you still spent half an hour at the end finishing it. And I'm like, well, what's the point of that? right so and and people bought my crock pot book and they said can i do these in an instant pot and and i was like but why because in the crock pot book there's a little chart which says you can also do these recipes in the oven here's how you calculate the temp time and the temperature and you can also do these recipes on the stove top here's how the time and temperature now, the stove top, so if you don't want it to take eight hours, if you don't want to put it on the night before, if you don't want to put it out, or put it on in the morning before you leave to work and have it ready when you come home, you can do these on the stove pot, on the stove top. The stove top versions are quicker than getting out the instant pot, the 15 minutes that you need to get the instant pot ready the cooking it in the instant pot and then the time you need to depressurize the instant pot at the end, it's actually quicker to just do it on the stovetop. Hmm. So I was like, so I, I, I don't understand where the benefit to an instant pot comes in when it comes to recipes like that. I totally understand where the instant pot comes in for cooking things like spaghetti squash. Apparently, instead of roasting it for an hour, you can pop it in an instant pot and it's done in 10 minutes. Totally get that. Meat, you can, you know, make bone broth in like, you know, 45 minutes instead of three days. Totally get that. Uh, Roasts, you know, big lumps of meat, you can totally cut the cooking time down. So I totally understand that. Where I'm failing thus far to see the benefit is when it comes to recipes, if you understand the distinction between when I'm saying, you know, meat and bone broth and spaghetti squash, things that take a long, single items that take a long time to cook, absolutely the Instant Pot can cut that time down. But when it comes to just entrees, recipes, I am not seeing how an Instant Pot is better than just doing it on the stovetop. Okay, that makes sense. my, My soups, for example, so the keto soup bowl has been incredibly popular But the soups are all super fast. And I did them that way because, you know, a lot of people either don't have the time or don't want to have the time to cook. So I made them super fast. It will take longer to do them in an instant pot because you have the the building up the pressure time at the beginning and then the depressurizing at the end. So actually it's going to take you longer in an instant pot than just doing it on a stovetop by the recipe in the book. So then I can't, make sense of why the instant pot is better totally valid point i think i got it more for like like you were saying with the single item cooking fast ingredients right Um, so so i completely get the point of an instant pot for that kind of stuff but i haven't yet got to the point where it makes sense for me to write a cookbook of entrees um that you could actually do better and faster on the stovetop than an instant pot and I think the instant pot, like I said, I haven't, I've only cooked two things in it, I believe, but I think it has like a crock pot setting. So I could just use that for any of your crock pot recipes, right? It, exactly. And so, and that's what I did actually. I have an instant pot, but I, I bought the one that has the 
crockpot or the slow cooker function. And I so half the recipes in the in the keto crockpot were made in an instant pot on the slow cooker setting and half of them were made in a traditional crock pot because I wanted to make sure it all worked everywhere. Um, And it does, but I have not used my instant pot as a pressure cooker. And that's why. That makes sense. Um, One more question for you here with regards to food. I've been craving, um, the the keto fathead pizza is a really popular item. And and like you were Mm -hmm. saying earlier, it's got, you know, the almond flour and, boatloads of cheese so that might be not uh perfect for somebody that has an intolerance to those things do you know a good way um and you may have it on one of your recipes already i haven't seen but what would be a way for me to make a a a crust like textured item like that without as much cheese or almond flour do you have a i've I've seen people use like chicken breast um i i i am working on that um i there are some things that that I've, I've had enough people say, you know, I really, you know, I don't like fat head or I can't make it work or whatever. And pizza dough is one thing that I am going to work on and hopefully bring, um, a version that people that don't want the almond flour or don't want the cauliflower or whatever it is can do. Uh, I'd also uh, another, version if you like so that the the nut the people who stall on nuts will have something that they can have as pizza so i am working on that i think pizza is one of my my exceptions to my rule that we shouldn't focus on um you know the old carb stuff made keto is that it, it is such a staple for a lot of people but i think we need different versions we need versions that are non-dairy and non-nut we need versions that are lower protein we need versions that are higher protein we need we need a bunch so i don't have an answer for you right now but i am working on that very excited about that because i do like because pizza is good it's just like a a blank slate and you could like for me it counts my macros you know i could put whatever macros i need on the pizza crust to hit them perfectly right and and i think and again you know, coming from England where we're not completely consumed with eating pizza. Um, that's a thing I noticed coming to America is that the pizza is such a, it, it's a rite of passage. It's just yeah. such a cultural thing that I, I think there's some things that it's just like asking people, you're almost asking Americans to give up their heritage, which, you know, who wants that, right? I mean, you know, so I am going to work on on pizza and hopefully give people, you know, for people that are happy and, and can reach their goals eating the, the fathead, have at it. Awesome. I just want to give some alternatives so that the people who either don't like fathead or, or don't want the nuts or don't want the cheese or whatever have versions that are, you know, mean that they don't feel like they're missing out but but we're hitting different macros or different hitting different segments of the population because fathead as it stands anyone who has to cut out dairy or has to cut out nuts they're all screwed yeah yeah so i am going to try and work on that very cool i do not want to um make america quit pizza (laughs) yeah i don't think you'd be successful what about well we talk about american foods i I gravitate towards like barbecue like pizza is great but i mean america food tradition i always think barbecue first are you much of a barbecue fan 
No, I mean, I, um, well, I, lo- I love it now, but it's not something, again, like pizza, it's not something I grew up with. Um, I remember when I was in my, like, late teens, early 20s, like, the first few barbecue grills started, like, appearing in England. But, of course, you know, it rains all the time. We really don't have the weather. I mean, you can, you can you know, barbecue, like, three times a year. Um, but it just, it, so we had a barbecue, but... I mean, you know, we had charcoal and we never knew how to use it or anything. So barbecue is not a big thing in England. Um, it's a huge thing here. Yeah, and I did actually not, not in Seattle though. I have um, I have one barbecue sauce which is up on recipe, which is up on the Keith Evangelist Kitchen, which people rave over. They love that. But I do have a special barbecue sauce that is not published anywhere yet and it's actually i'm going to publish it in uh keto evangelist unlimited and it was actually barbecue sauce that i created for for brian williamson he uh you know he's texan and he comes from the quote barbecue capital of america or is it the world the world i can't remember <laughs> anyway it, the town he lives in is the barbecue capital of probably the world and so he and his wife, Sherry, um, were coming to stay with me in Seattle. And I was like, I mean, call me crazy that I decided I was going to make them barbecue sauce. Because what what English girl in her right mind would try and make barbecue sauce for a man who lives in the barbecue capital of the world? Anyway, whatever. Maybe I was having a hypermanic moment. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> so I decided to do this. And, and so I came up with this barbecue sauce. And I have a picture of, uh, if I remember, I'll send it to you afterwards. I have a picture of Brian sitting at my kitchen counter with an entire mason jar full of this stuff. And he's got a tablespoon and he's just shoveling it into his mouth. That's how much he loved it. And so I was like, that's one of my greatest moments in life is that the man from the barbecue capital of the world thought my, my English girl keto barbecue sauce was like the best thing ever. Yeah, send me that and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny picture. <laughs> exactly. That's what that's why I need it. <laughs> um, well, I'll have to... You said you're going to put that recipe on the Unlimited site? I'm going to put that on the Unlimited site, yeah. I'll be checking it out for sure. Um, totally another random topic here. We can talk about food all day long, but I don't want to... I don't want to do that. We, we, we go down a deep rabbit hole there. Um, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I'm going to send you... Uh, I'm going to send you one of my keto bricks because I want your honest opinion on the on the taste because your palate is so developed and mature that you'd be able to know exactly what it needs or doesn't need. So I'm going to okay. send you one of those for an expert review. Okay. That'd be good. I'm curious to see what you think. Okay. Um, okay. I, like I said, we can keep talking forever, but uh, we're, we have to do a round two because... We're just gonna Lots to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Plus, everyone's going to write to you and tell you that they don't actually care what I talk about. I could read out the phone book and they'd be enthralled. <laughs> oh, with the accent? That's good enough, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this 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 episode will be uh, hitting on all eight cylinders then because we're both rocking the accent pretty good. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I've heard people swoon to me about your accent, I'd be a rich woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear it much anymore. At a very rare occasion, people mention my accent these days. I guess they're just used to it now. Yeah, no, I remember post-KetoCon, everyone was like, Robert's accent! I love Robert's accent! (laughs) 
I'm gonna keep leveraging it, and I'll make it. I'll make it work. Right. Might as well, right? Use the tools that you have available. Exactly. Um, okay, where can people go to find out more about you? I'm gonna put those links on the on the show notes as well. See if I can get more people in touch with you. So the the recipe and the podcasts are up on ketoevangelistkitchen.com. Um, I also have um, a bunch of recipes up on carriebrown.com. But if you start at ketoevangelistkitchen.com, that's the best place to start. Um, the cookbooks are also all the links to all the cookbooks, PDFs, digital downloads as well as the Amazon print versions, the links are all up on ketoevangelistkitchen.com. We'd love to have you listen into our podcast of the same name, which is up on iTunes and everywhere podcasts get done. Um, Ketoevangelist Unlimited, if you're looking for to really like rocket fuel your your keto, you want to tune it up and you want to start looking at it holistically instead of just food and exercise we'd love to have you come join us over there and then we also have the keto evangelist kitchen facebook group where which is all about the food we we actually separated all the food out from the ketogenic success facebook group because some people didn't want to see any of the food and then another set of people didn't want to hear about people's bodily ailments. So we separated the two groups out. So there's there's all the the success stories and all the general keto stuff in one group and all the food in the other. Of course, if you want both, you just join both and then you have it all. Um, Very cool. Um, and then ketoevangelistunlimited.com is, is the membership where there's all the exclusive stuff and and lots of attention from brian danny and i and a fantastic group of really serious keto lifestylers awesome awesome yeah i can't i'll link all i'll link out to all that i just can't wait to to see you again at ketocon in june because it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome it was awesome last time it's gonna be awesome this time it, it is and hopefully i won't be so scared of you this time why were you scared of me how did i scare you um, I, I don't I don't know. I didn't hear I'm, the story. I'm, maybe scared isn't the right word. Maybe intimidated is a better word. Intimidated? What's intimidating yeah. about me? Um, I, I don't know. I'll think about it and I'll, I'll let you know if I come up with an answer. But yeah, I was like, yeah, I felt really timid around you. <laughs> well, hopefully not anymore. <laughs> so, um, but I do remember you were very kind and um, and you t- you 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 took on the role of a photographer at any point where I needed you to take one and you happened to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Anything I can do to help, I'm all, I'm all for you it. T- you took a fantastic picture of Christy Sullivan and I, um, which has been shared all over social media. So, yeah, I loved meeting you, and um, I'm really, really excited. Oh, and actually this year I might get you and, and Danny to do a gym thing with me this time because you did that gym thing with um, – Jillian mm-hmm. and uh, John Lemansky. Mm-hmm. That might be your your KetoCon challenge is um, sorting Carrie Brown out. You know, I didn't even think to mention this earlier, but at some point in the near future, hopefully not too distant future, we got to do some kind of collaboration of sorts where I help you with the macros, get you to the composition you want, and then you do what you do in the kitchen to make those meals with the macros friendly and like enjoyable that that would be a, a pretty cool combination because it'd be mutually beneficial people are always saying i can't eat good foods when i'm cutting and cuttings obviously it's effective 
So if you can enjoy the process with the quality foods, I mean, there's there's potential there. It's, that's a uh, big picture stuff, but someday somehow we're going to collaborate. Yep, yep. It's um, I I absolutely do not believe that you have to eat lousy tasting food on keto. Completely agree. Completely agree. Well, Carrie, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed every single minute of this hour and 42 minute podcast. You and now know way more about me than you ever wanted to, but there it is. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, uh, I, I willingly keep learning because like I said, I just really love hearing the, the details that aren't spoke about as often with people. Like it gives you a much better scope of that person and kind of who they are and why they do what they do. And that, that is what interests me. I just hope that, um, I'm, I, I just hope I can help people. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the for the platform and the, and the audience, the opportunities I've had to to tell my story and to to you know try and help people. Um, and you know that started with Brian really um, giving me a platform, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, and also I'm incredibly grateful to you and, and Danny and, and the other people that have um, wanted to share my story out there. I just hope that um, I get the continued opportunity to help as many people as possible, particularly those with mental health, because that's just, you know, I have personal experience of the hell and I would love to help as many people as I can to, to experience the joy that I have now. Absolutely. And you'll, you'll keep changing lives. Like anything I can do to help spread your message, I'm all about it. You know, anything I could ever do for you, just let me know. Thank you, sir. Well, Carrie, until next time, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to talking to you and seeing you soon. All right. Take care. Take care.